Now, we're going to be again in Colossians 4. Here's been, this has been, um, we'll start with verse 2. This has been kind of our um, a theme verse, is chapter 1, verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So the idea today is that the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads by word of mouth, and you and I are God's plan A to spread that message. What we need to determine is the consistency of our approach and our message. Does my life match what I'm trying to communicate? So we're going to talk about that um, in just a bit. Now, I want you to think as, um, as Brother Blair in just a minute reads uh, verse 2 through 6 to us from, from Colossians 4, think of someone either living or maybe gone on that you greatly admire or have admired. Maybe it's somebody famous or maybe not. Maybe it's just somebody who you personally admire or have admired. How did they get such a reputation in your eyes? What were the contributing factors? My guess is you watched them and how they did life. You watched how they had a passion for something that you admired. And then you watched and noticed that they approached that and accomplished great things without probably arrogance nor any kind of false humility. Okay? Now, maybe a name comes to mind. Think about that a little bit. And we're going to have we're going to have Steve Bl- he's not here. No, he had to go work. I'm 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 I I looked at you five times today and didn't even think about Steve not being between you and Joanne. So. Well, he was here, but he had to leave. Okay. Can you read for us today? I think so. Verse 2 through verse 6. All right. From Colossians 4. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What great advice. When Ron and I were first married, God did something pretty wonderful for us. We, uh, we bought... Uh, 10-foot-wide trailer. <laughs> Our first home. And uh, moved it into a place next to the college where I was finishing study and um, into a place that the college owned. And the Lord placed us next door to um, Dale and Polly Oldham. Um, there are some of you in this room who would recognize that name. Hubert, you would probably recognize Dr. Oldham's name. Uh, Janet, you certainly would. Anybody who's got a Church of God background. He had pastored for years and years the Park Place Church of God in Anderson, Indiana, made it into significant uh, church, uh, and was the radio voice of the Church of God back in the 1960s when, when we began a radio broadcast back then. By the way, later on, that broadcast was hosted by David Grubbs, Marty's dad. Dr. Oldham um, lived next door to me in this trailer park, believe it or not. He was retired in Florida. A lot of people retired in Florida, right? 
And on a regular basis, I'd be doing chores outside, and he would divert me from my chores, invite me to the porch, and give me a glass of lemonade, and we'd talk about real life. He wrote a book at one time called Giants Along My Path. And he was a giant along my path. We ought to recognize those kind of people. We ought to say, um, even though he's gone on before, um, we, ought, we ought to say, um, Lord, thank you for putting that person in my path. So, um, this lesson today is not a traditional study on evangelism. It's not going to be, this is how to share your faith. Paul doesn't really talk about that. Uh, he assumes that you're doing it already. So he, it's funny that it doesn't occur to the Apostle Paul to tell you how to share your faith. He just assumes you're already doing that. So he's going to talk today about how we treat other people and how that impacts the message of the gospel that's already coming from you. Uh, in this little paragraph, Paul both models the way and shapes our attitude and gives us a timeless perspective on evangelism. I read a story from back in the 1990s of a church, and I've forgotten what city, I'm sorry. They were um, a, a, a Bible-believing, um, prevailing church, like I would say we are. But they were in a downtown in a large city, and they read in the newspaper that the, um, the, the music hall, the uh, gathering place that was right across, directly across the street from them was getting ready to feature a concert or host a concert by a then very popular um, um, artist that had adopted the name Marilyn Manson. Maybe you know that name. Um, you might look him up, although I will warn you, whatever you read about Marilyn Manson is probably PG-13 at least. Really interesting fellow. Uh, with a message that is not pro-Christian. In fact, it's very anti-Christian. And now Marilyn Manson is going uh, to do a concert in the hall right across the street from this church that really loved Jesus and wanted to do the right thing. So instead of picketing in front of the music hall, you know what they did? They offered cold water to those who were waiting in line to attend. They took bottles of cold water and said, hey, you guys have been waiting out here a while. It's hot. I figure you need something to drink. We're from the church across the street. Nice to meet you. You know what the newspaper reported the next day? They quoted some of these people who were dressed probably really interestingly. I figure a Marilyn Manson fan dresses a little bit like Marilyn Manson, which is, uh, you're probably not going to see any of this in church today, I'm guessing. You might see it tonight at your front door. <laughs> and here's what the newspaper said. They quoted some of these people as saying, I don't know who these people are at the church across the street, and I don't believe this stuff, but if I were going to church, I'd want to go to that one. Don't you think that's kind of at the heart of what Paul is teaching here? Let's look at verse 2, all right? In verse 2, 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, the idea here is, uh, my New American Standard Version says um, to do this in an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul is being a spiritual shepherd to these people. You remember, he's never met them. He's only met Epaphras, who's their current pastor, the founding pastor of this church. Um, um, he, he's not going to call himself. He, Paul will never call himself. By the way, Jesus will never call himself a spiritual CEO. He's going to call himself a shepherd, a pastor. And he says here that I want to give you some spiritual counsel. If you look back at 1-3, it kind of rings a little bit like that. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he models his prayer for them in chapter 1. Here he's modeling his prayer for them again. And he's given them some counsel on how to pray. It's kind of an ever-present theme for him. And so he uses this word, devote. Devote yourself to prayer. The idea that's rendered devotion or devote yourself to prayer uh, may also be uh, translated in other places. Persevere. What does that word say to you? To persevere in prayer. Persevere. What's that? Keep it up. Keep it up. Stick with it. Don't give up. Hang in there. Okay? We can, we can put a lot of different words in there that kind of fit that. Don't we? Can't we? So the idea is to... Um, it's important, and it's really easy, despite its importance, prayer in our lives, it's really easy to drift away from this. Why is it natural for us to drift away from prayer? And I want to say to you that it may not be all that natural. It may be that we're all a little bit ADHD, but it may also be that the enemy of our souls doesn't want us to focus in this way. And so he'll distract us with a hundred other thoughts. Am I too far off base here? I think, I think when I'm trying to talk to Jesus, when I'm trying to talk to God through his son, Jesus, I think it really serves the devil well to say, hey, don't forget and don't forget and don't forget this. By the way, somebody had a really practical idea once in my hearing. Keep a legal pad beside your, wherever you're praying. And as those things come up, come up, write a word or two that reminds you and get right back to it. Okay? You may have a dozen things by the time you get to the end of your prayer. But the devil's going to learn. He can't distract you. Persevere, he says. Devote yourself. Um, so... The idea here is being watchful or being alert. And it's probably talking here both in terms of a literal posture and a figurative posture of being alert, being watchful. If you're being watchful in some other way, what would your physical posture likely be? You're not going to be laying down probably. Okay, you might be on your knees. You might be standing firm. Uh, if you're like some of the Old Testament prophets, you may literally fall on your face. That's kind of up to you and the Holy Spirit to determine. But the idea would be to um, uh, consider uh, a posture that keeps you focused. So, um, 
means that we probably ought to think a little bit at least about the time. By the way, I didn't fill in your first blank, did I? This is Paul the pastor. Paul the pastor. Paul the shepherd. Okay? Uh, probably ought to think a little bit about what time of day we pray. It's interesting. Some of the guys that I've worked with at school uh, will say, well, I do my devotions last part of the day, but I find myself typically falling asleep. Now, there's both positive and negative to that. Okay? And I will say, I think you probably better choose a time when you're a little more alert. On the other hand, I'm glad that you're thinking about Jesus as you're going to sleep. Okay? Barclay said this. By the way, this is not Charles Barkley. Okay, this is not, this is not, you knucklehead. It's not that guy, okay? This is William Barkley. God will understand the single sentence when we have to utter it like a child who is too tired to stay awake. Okay, I, I love the freedom that gives me. You know, I, I'm, I'm a kid too tired to stay awake, and I say one more thing to my, my mom or dad. Uh, Barclay says, you know what? You want to organize yourself where that's not happening on a regular basis, but God will hear that too. He'll hear that too. Now, so I probably need to think about the time of day and the, the literal posture of my prayer. Um, uh, so when we pray, um, we ought to be alert and we ought to be grateful. Now, it's interesting here at the end of verse 2, he says, with an attitude of thanksgiving to consistently weave in themes of gratitude, um, to develop a heart that's so grateful and thankful that I keep that thankfulness at the center of my prayer life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to tell you this. As I use the term thanksgiving, especially with tomorrow being November. We have a tendency to think of Thanksgiving as something we do once a year on a Thursday in November. And it ought to be a regular part of my, not only my prayer life, but my constant awareness of how good he's been to me. It is good enough. It is good enough for you on a regular basis, day after day, to just simply say out loud, Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. By the way, if you're not doing it now, maybe to stop three times a day before a meal. I'm assuming you eat at least two or three times a day. And say, thank you, Lord. That's kind of the principle behind that. I stop three times a day. If, if you can't remember that, then um, drink a Dr. Pepper and do it at 10, 2, and 4. Yeah. Uh, well, whatever it takes, okay, to be thankful on an ongoing basis. Now, let's go to the second one. Paul's been a pastor here, and he's now going to be an example. Let me read out loud verse 3 and 4 again. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open, us to his open up to us a door for the word, so we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may... Make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul needing, needing to have more clarity? And he's asking for that. Now, uh, notice the pronouns here are us and we. 
Uh, Paul prefers to do ministry as a team. I was looking at um, um, the end of this book with, with a, a young friend earlier this week. And not having read much of this before, he was asking me about all these names. You know, who's this and who's this and who's this? And we went to other letters and looked at the end and read some other names, some of which are repeated here. Uh, Paul always had somebody with him that he was working with. He, he liked that. He liked to be part of a team. It's an example to you and me that we ought to be a part of some kind of a team. Now, participation in a class like this, uh, participation certainly in a small group, will help you live out your faith. We need the encouragement of each other. But notice here, as he's asking them to pray with him, he is not... What would you think he would ask them to pray for, knowing what Paul's going through right then? Freedom. Freedom, yeah. Lord, you would think he would say, when you're talking to God, ask him to get me out of prison. That just makes sense, right? But he, I, I don't know of any example of, of him asking that anywhere in the New Testament. Now, I, I could be wrong. But I don't know of any example of that. Instead, he's asking like he does here. Um, um, it, 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 he takes a, he, he backs off from any kind of personal interest in his prayer. Instead, he requests prayer for courage and for opportunity to share Christ with others in a more clear way. So here's my challenge to you. Here's Paul's example. If you were to shift your prayer life, if I were to shift my prayer life from praying mostly about personal wants or needs, not that those things are bad, and instead focus my prayers on asking God to give me opportunity to share Christ with, with other people, what do you think would be different in like a week or a month or certainly a year? I, I think it would be remarkably different. Um, evidently, it wasn't all that easy even for Paul to share his faith. And so he's saying, pray that I'll do it with boldness. Pray that I'll have courage to share. Pray that I'll, I'll be clear. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I pray this prayer often enough. And this has been good, a good example for me today. Um, it, it's just beautiful, actually. Cindy, I'm going to come back to you and ask you to read verse 5 again out loud. We're going to pick it up at verse 5. Here we're going to see the third role, Paul the teacher. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Okay. Now, interesting. The word make the most, okay? We've heard him, we will hear him say, hear him say in other places, uh, redeem the time for the days are evil. This is not that concept, but it's, it's similar to it. He's not talking about time being an enemy. He's talking about time being a friend here. Use the time you've got. So the idea is here, making the most of every opportunity, um, um, the, the literal language here is buy up every opportunity. Think about a speculator, okay? Hmm. Buying tracts of land that they're going to later turn into something or sell at a profit. Buy up every opportunity to do what? To share the gospel. To share your life, to share Jesus' life. So, 
um, that this may be the key verse today. Here Paul is teaching his friends how to relate to those outside of the Christian faith. I think it's really interesting that he uses, and it is the word, outsiders. He's talking about those outside the church. And he's going to say, uh, in the NIV it says, be wise in the way you act toward others. Um, in the Bible that I read from uh, or teach from, it's going to say, um, um, conduct yourselves with wisdom. Okay, so we need to walk in wisdom. May we interact with those outside of a personal relationship with Christ um, in a non-confusing way so that they'll know exactly what we believe and what we stand for. Without the Holy Spirit of God living in them, they simply don't know what they don't know. And so, if they're not Christians yet, they're not expected to act like Christians. And by the way, sometimes you and I get kind of frustrated with that. I ought to be removed from that kind of frustration. Instead, I need to act wisely. So what do you think it means to conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders? What do you think that means to conduct yourself with wisdom, to walk wisely? I want to, I want to give uh, Cross and some accolades. Um, Boy, I love yeah. that, Nadine. That's, uh, they had a memorial for grace, and Pastor Lance Ward spoke very eloquently. eloquently. And uh, the people that were there, the son got up and said he didn't think as many people would be there <laughs> because she was 97. And my neighbors from across the street that live next door to Grace, they came. They don't even go to church. And she asked me, she said, is it okay if my husband wear jeans? So they came uh, to the memorial, and they sat next to me. And, and the services were so beautiful, she told me. She said she asked me to come see her. And when I went to see her, she said, what's the name of that church? <laughs> she says, because wow. I want to go. And I invited her to come. And this was part of the Vandergriff family. Yes. Well, yes. Well, oh, Lance is? Uh Uh-huh. No, I'm talking about, I know about Lance, but the person who's asking you, where's the church? They're part of the family. No, they were not in the family. Okay. She lived next door to Grace. So it's a neighbor. At the time. So they never go to church. They, They had never, they always doing something outside doing Sundays. But anyway... So she asked me to come see her when I, she says, those people were so nice. And she listened to Lance Ward, and he spoke so well of Grace, and so did her son, and they spoke about how kind she was and everything. And she said, that was one of the most beautiful services I ever been to. And she said, I want to go to that church. And she said, I'm going to go get my aunt. And I invited the Sunday school. She said, I can't come that early, but I'll go to church. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Coming today. She said, what is the time of the service? Oh, wow. I think the last one is at 1030. I'm not really sure. But she, said, but she gets here at 1030. That. She'll be here early. She's here somewhere, according. And she went to go. Isn't that wonderful? So that I'm just saying that your light should shine. And Grace's light shine. They remembered her. And they, they came. They came to the funeral. And, and the thing that stayed in my mind about what all the good things they said about her, and even at the nursing home, they knew I was coming because of grace, and they asked me, was I going to continue to come since she had passed us, that she would want me to. And so we're going to name the, the services, the devotional that I have, 
and Grace's honor. And they still That's have her cool, name lady. on the list. They didn't take her name off the list because when I come there and I and and I uh, sign in, I always sign in under Grace's name. And so the director asked cool. me, "Will you still come even though she's not here anymore?" I said, "Certainly, she would want me to." And yeah, you I know, I was God for that life that she lived, and I didn't know that Grace um, played the piano very well. She spoke, she took Hebrew and Greek, and she wow. done a lot of things. I mean, she had everybody, they, they, the people that lived next door to her was telling me things about her that I didn't know. So this is her, it's got her obituary that's, on that's it. That's right, and yeah. if you, and, and I have a few others, that's but you very need cool. to read this about her. I'll leave this one up here in case somebody wants to read it. Yeah, that would be great. So, it's interesting, I was talking to Bill Reeves earlier this week, and he had heard a quote from um, uh, someone who was interviewing um, Mahatma Gandhi, and they were talking about what a good person he was, and um, said, you know, you kind of got it all going on. Why don't you, uh, what keeps you from Christianity? Christians. That's sobering to me, especially in the context of what you're talking about here. You know what? Uh, so the idea here is how do Christians discredit the gospel, the gospel of Jesus? I've got to be careful about the kind of things I post on social media or the kinds of things I like on social media. Okay? I just can't do that. I, I saw something this week that just made me, made me laugh out loud, and I thought, no, no. No, you just don't do it, okay? Um, um, uh, it, it ought to be a place where I kind of, uh, Judy, you and I were talking about this as I walked in today. It ought to be a place where I keep up with family and friends. I'm on Facebook because of this and because of um, four little bitty people that live a thousand miles from here that whose whose mom and dad post pictures of them and stuff they're doing. I know what their their Halloween costumes look like because I've been on there. And by the way, uh, never mind. The, the, there's a really cute seven-year-old pumpkin walking around St. Joe, Michigan this evening. So, yeah. So, um, uh, now, so, uh, I don't want to be right in the wrong way. Okay? Because the stakes are too high, he says here in, in verse 5. This could be the most important verse of this whole book, certainly of, of this chapter. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. That's what he's going to teach us here. Okay. And so he says, you heard Cindy read it a little bit, bit ago. Therefore, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. The idea, you know, in the ancient world, salt was currency. Uh, it was precious to them. Uh, season your, your speech, even the things you write. Um, in our culture today, we're encouraged, really, to take sides, to pick fights. It seems like verbal combat has become uh, kind of normal even within the church. But how can I focus on the gospel instead of other things that cause us to be divided and do, the, do that, do life in a spirit of grace? Um, one of these days, one of these days, 
I'm hoping that my kids will do what I did um, the first week of October of 2003. So the first week of October of 2003, I took Jake with me when he could. And I went to all the restaurants that my dad frequented over the last several years. Because everywhere he went, he had a buddy. Somebody that waited on him. Even though he was not a very good tipper. Now, I never really got that. <laughs> okay, so typically when I was with him, Dad would give a minimal, and I'd put a, something else out there. You know, not that I had all that much money. I just, But they didn't care. Because he loved them. And I, I went to all these places. And they would, typically the response was, where's your buddy? That's why I'm here today. And their face would fall. And I'd say, he's gone. And I just want to thank you for being good to him. For taking care of him. I, one of these days, I want my kids to go to the places And say, thanks for being a friend to my dad. And I hope they say back, oh, yeah, but he was a friend to me. That's how we got connected. Uh, so the idea here is, uh, is your speech seasoned appropriately? Okay. Uh, now, I'm going to say this. I may get in a little bit of trouble, so hang on. All right. Notice that Paul, in any of his letters... Okay, now remember, Paul was imprisoned by the government, the Roman Empire, of whom he was a citizen. And yet he never criticizes the government. You reckon I ought to get, take a page out of that book? Okay, that's um, interesting. Paul can coach us in this. If anybody in all of Christian history could have criticized the government. It's this guy, and he doesn't. Even though he knows that someday somebody from the government is going to tap on his cell and say, okay, buddy, it's time, and they're going to remove his head. Maybe I ought to learn from that, you think? Maybe I ought to let Paul coach me there. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Also, not only your conversation, but let your light shine before others that God can see your good work. I've got to live consistently. I've got to talk consistently. And my father had a saying, be what you are or what you are going to speak so loudly that people can't hear what you say. Yeah. Now, I want, I, want you, I want us to compare how Paul approached life and how Peter approached life. What do you think of when you think of uh, Peter's style of things or his, his, um, his personality? Right. I think so. You know, I think of a guy that was, um, um, I have a friend who I, I accused at one time of um, uh, having a short fuse and it was always lit. Yeah. You know, I kind of think about something like that with, with, um, uh, with Peter. He was always... I was he gave a lot of right answers. He was pretty, he was pretty impetuous. <laughs> Listen to what Peter says about this. Listen to how consistent their message is, even though he and Paul were very, very different. Um, I'm going to go to 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, reverence, I'm starting verse 15. Reverence Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, there you go, Greg. There you go, Nadine. Those who speak against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it's better if it's in God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, it's interestingly here, even though these two men were very different in their approaches to things, their message was remarkably the same. Uh, it was Peter who said, love them until they say, uh, what is it about you? And then you say, and only then, I'm really glad you asked. <laughs> Love them. Live it consistently in front of them until they say to you, okay, there's something really different about you. What is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. And then share the source of your hope and your faith. Okay, so here's how we're going to apply this. Look at the, the bottom section here. Now, did I give you all four things? He's the pastor, he's the example, he's the teacher, he's a coach. So what is your mission field? I attended a, uh, a Nazarene church, actually, in, in, uh, in Cincinnati back when I was living in Kentucky and occasionally with some friends. And as you drove out of their parking lot, there was this billboard that they'd spent some money on that said you're now entering the mission field. So uh, literally, I need to find out what is my mission field. Um, who do you know? Rhonda and I talk about this almost every day. Who do you know that, that you, you're pretty sure doesn't have a personal kind of working relationship with Christ? The best place to start is to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you to do at least one thing. Whether you do anything else with what we've talked about today or not, do this. Okay. I want you to come up with one name, maybe two, that you will commit to praying for every day that you know, or maybe you just don't know. Uh, Mark, the Bible study you and I are in was started 20-some years ago with me and five guys that I either didn't know they were Christian, didn't know whether they were Christian or not, or I knew for sure they weren't because they told me. So, the thought here is to begin to pray for those that you know are already that you're pretty sure are pretty far from God. It might be someone in your family. It might be somebody that you rub elbows with every day at work, and begin daily, systematically to pray for them. Okay, Lord, and here's part of the prayer. Here's what Paul prayed here: pray for an opportunity. That's a dangerous prayer, by the way. That's a dangerous prayer, Lord. Remember Mary. Lord, speak to Mary and give me an opportunity to share you with her. Okay? Second. All right? Because of your life and witness, here's, this is just to evaluate yourself and your walk and your um, commitment to this. Because of your life and witness, are your friends, in, are your friends interested in Jesus more? Or less? That's a dangerous question, all right? Because of the way you walk, because of the way you love, because of the way you talk, 
Are the people around you on a daily basis, are they more interested in Jesus or less? Okay. That's a dangerous question. Love your enemies and, and pray for those that despitefully use you. And we need to, those people that are even hostile or whatever, those are the ones that we need to love the most and not try to retaliate because God said business is mine. You know, if Jesus and his immediate followers could say that, certainly I can. But I kind of don't want to look at those that I work with as enemies. I want to look at them as friends for the purpose of the gospel. Okay? Are you making, you know what, the, the guys at Carter Chevrolet, making friends and selling cars in that order? <laughs> Are you making friends and sharing the gospel in that order? Pray about it. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will lead you. We're going to pick it up right here in 4-7 next week. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's great to see you.